Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. This show, Are We Ready?, celebrates the 150th episode of Say It Skillfully. Woohoo! My heartfelt gratitude to listeners all around the globe who tune in, keen to be true to yourselves, succeed on your terms, and speak up positively and productively in any situation. Your energy and knowing you're finding your voices is so gratifying. Thank you. So, of course, I have an extra special guest who's been with me on this Say It Skillfully journey from the get-go. He's an unassuming fellow, so let me shine a light on just a few of his past roles. As a strategist, he was part of the Ogilvy and Mather team in the mid-90s that helped transform the IBM brand from arrogant to approachable. The Chartered Institute of Marketing named him one of the 50 most influential thinkers in marketing and business. As an entrepreneur, he's raised or helped raise $20 million for startup and entrepreneurial ventures. He was also the resident marketing guru for 250 entrepreneurs over five years through the Birthing of Giants program. And a serious skiing enthusiast. He's on the slopes about 50 days a year, often 90 minutes at a time. I will personally vouch for his ski instructor skills as he's helped me a great deal on my swishing around. Having written several books and with many years of ghostwriting under his belt, he's now in the business of co-creating, helping entrepreneurs, consultants, and coaches expand their intellectual property. His own newsletter reaches 130,000 loyal readers each week, and his 850,000 followers on LinkedIn appreciate his grounded tips on ways to succeed in business by actually being a decent human being. I am beyond blessed that my dear friend, Bruce Kazanoff, is joining us. Bruce, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Thank you, Molly. I I, I have to say, I was uh, listening to that intro and thinking mainly about how you have so uh, figured out how to help people with Say It Skillfully, but more than that, how to be succinct and and so um, tuned in to, to, to helping people understand the things that they need to understand. I remember, you know, what, three years back more, and, and you had so many ideas, and, and, and you didn't know where to start, and, and now you just really know exactly what you're doing, and it, it's wonderful to, to listen to you and, and, and talk with you again. Yeah, it's a, I have the biggest smile on my face because you were here and I am living proof, folks. Again, remember, I didn't speak English until I was five, right? So I have my own radio show, which is kind of hilarious on its own. And I just remember just you are so, you have such genius in being able to net it out and be succinct and be clear. And I was kind of a lot of stuff floating around and just couldn't really spit it out in any cogent way. So I do have to say I feel good with help from folks like you to have um, you know, kind of gotten out of my way, obviously. Well, you, you see that a lot, though, because people who have a lot to say, they get so excited. You know, they're like, oh, I got to help. I got to change the world. I want to do this. And, and that's definitely what you are. I want to change the world for the better. 
and it, 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 I mean, it's hard to like, okay, but I need to do one thing. And then, you know, and you say it skillfully really has given you the, the platform to do that. So it's very gratifying to watch. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I have to go back to the very first time because I am at my core, I'm an introvert. I mean, I like people and I can be very social. Um, and so I'm not inclined to be a big social media person. And I remember a conversation with you and like obviously a big shout out to Marshall Goldsmith of just how we even met the, the MG100 yep. group, right? But I remember like, we were like, you know, who cares? Put it out there. You know, if someone looks at it, great. If they don't look at it, it's no big deal. And I was like, okay. You know, so I had that little iPhone. It might have been an iPhone 4 or something. Mm -hmm. And I recorded this video and, you know, I really, you were like, just go for it. I'm like, okay, Bruce said, go for it. I'll go for it. Right. I thought like 10 people would watch it. And Bruce, I think when I edited it all up, I think 36,000 people watched that first video. Amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? it just keeps going. Yeah. It just is crazy. So, um, folks, I want um, you to know that Bruce has been near and dear and just someone who's been, you know, true as a friend and truthful, right, with me. And I think that's really helped me. So, Bruce, just a huge shout out to you. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah, it's so fun to be in these mutual, these just like love fest relationships, folks. So, okay. So, this is a deal. I mean, Bruce is more than familiar with the show. Uh, and for all the space that you create for others, I'm really grateful for you willing to share your own personal journey and for listeners to get to know you and the ups and the downs of your journey. Sure. I think I say sure, but we'll see. But <laughs> well, you start wherever you want to start, and I, I do, um, I do want to just acknowledge you because I also know that you are all about others, and oftentimes not someone who talks a lot about yourself. So I really um, appreciate you for for going there. Well, so you want me to just kind of give you like the where I came from type of? Yeah, start at the beginning. Okay. I mean, some okay. people start at age five. You start wherever you want to start. So, so I, I have uh, probably more than most people, I have these segments in my life that are completely, and they almost feel disconnected. I know they're not, but they almost feel that way. You know, by, just so people know, Molly, who's very professional, sends your guests, so here's, the, here's how we do it. We'll talk about your early childhood, and then we'll go to you know, college, and then we'll talk about your life and what have you learned and what challenges. And so... I, I knew in advance and also from doing the show previously what to expect. And, and I said to Molly, oh, you know, I basically coasted until I was 20. And by that, I mean, I lived in Boston. I lived in a neighborhood. Boston that time was very segmented by race, by ethnicity, I'd say by religion, but as a Jewish person, I was like the only one there and except for my brother. And, um, <laughs> And so I basically just wanted out and tried to get my parents everywhere I could to move out, but they didn't have money. And so we couldn't move out. So we stayed in Boston and um, I hated it. So I eventually, you know, I got all A's until sixth grade. And I said, well, I, I'm still in the place I hate. So I just stopped trying. And so I coasted through high school. Um, I went to uh, the state college. And um, it wasn't until I got, it, I, I can actually tell you the 30 seconds that started to change my life, which was, I was one of 60 students at UMass Amherst who was hired to, they had a new 2000 seat theater 
and they needed just bodies to help put pipes up backstage and hang curtains and whatnot. And so I did that and I stayed on as a, you know, $3 an hour stage crew. And I would, I would do whatever people told me, pick up the cable, bring it over there, pick up the light, bring it over there. And after like six months of this, the production stage manager, he ran the whole backstage and he came up to me in the middle of the stage and he said, you know, if you had a little initiative and you didn't wait for people to tell you what to do, you could become a crew chief. And he walked away. And a crew chief, there were two students who were like, they got to do run the lighting board and they got to be stage manager and they got to tell other students what to do. And it just had never dawned on me at that point in my life. Kind of, I don't know, I wasn't aiming for anything. And I was like, that sounds cool. So I became a stage manager, you know, a crew chief and a stage manager and then a lighting designer. So that was where I started to actually have a life and started to do things. And, and, um, you know, and, and, and I guess, um, what do I say? The, um, that was my first incident. I remember I had a friend who was also on the crew and he actually said to me like a year later, he said, I don't like you at the, at the, the theater. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, you you're bossy. You tell people what to do. Like, well, that's my job. And he said, yeah, but you're kind of a jerk about it. And so that was the first, and I, I didn't really, I didn't spend too much time or energy on that at that time because I just thought he had a couple of beers and he was you know, in a bad mood. But in retrospect, I realized that was the first ever, you know, say it skillfully moment I ever had, which was, you know, gee, how do you, how do you start to assume responsibility without all of a sudden becoming the, you know, the jerky bossy guy. And, and I'm not sure. I mean, a big part of why I, um, when you were wrestling with, with what to do, which became, say, skillfully, I, I remember the thing I would say to you over and over again was, I understand the, the theory of what you say, like, we all should speak up and we all should say something. If we don't say something, then we're just as responsible as the guy at the top or the woman at the top who's, you know, built this culture. And, but I don't know how to do that. And to this day, I still feel like that. I, I feel like I know how to listen to people. I know how to paraphrase what they say and how to be understanding and supportive, but I do not necessarily know how to have difficult conversations where I'm personally uncomfortable with how they might react. And so I think some of this is like, wow, after you know, 40 or 45 years, it's it's amazing that it's still hard. I really appreciate you calling that out. And I just was sharing with someone because it seems so to your to your point, like intellectually, you kind of get it. Like, wow, if I don't speak up and people don't know, then I'm kind of contributing to the problem. You know, I'm not a bad person, but I get that it's on me. But I and I think that's a great part because it shows the driver for change. Like I want to speak up. And then part of it is like the how do you do it? And before that piece is just that notion of it actually is possible. I think so many people are way before you, Bruce, like they don't even think it's possible. Right. And then if they think it's possible, then part of it is the confidence thing, which is, you know, drum roll, I'm pulling together a program to really just help teach it to people in a very basic way, because it's absolutely learnable, you know, and that's where mm -hmm. I would share with you. And, you know, for God's sakes, 
I can't, if I told you don't have time for all the unskillful moments that I've had. So, right. um, so this is very fascinating. I didn't realize, you know, this, you know, you know, these friends, you don't really hear the whole story. So thank you for sharing that. So academically, so did this stage hand, you know, kind of confidence and, and being something, you know, in that universe translate to your academics? And I mean, how did you translate that to like getting a job and all that good stuff? Well, so, so, so I do pretty horribly at UMass and I, <laughs> but I graduate and I, but I, I, I worked in the theater 15 to 40 hours a week. So at times I was working full time in the theater and going to school and I did become a crew chief and I did do, you know, I mean, I just worked all the time. If there was a show and I could get on it, I would work on it. And that was a professional roadhouse theater. So Broadway shows and touring companies and uh, national ballet companies and some concerts and jazz performers would, would all come in. So it was a wonderful broadening experience and it was a wonderful work experience, although I didn't realize it till later. And then I, I go to Boston, I go to um, WGBH in Boston. I somehow stumbled into uh, after volunteering to get in the door and cause it's really hard to get in the door. And I eventually wrote my own job description because I was so desperate to get out of the fundraising office that was the way I got in. And um, I gave it to my boss's boss's boss. And because I knew that no one, you know, immediately above me would, would get me out of the position I was in. And three weeks later, he came back and he, he had crossed out the title. He gave me back literally the same piece of paper I gave him. And it said capital campaign coordinator because I didn't know they were going to do a capital campaign. So I became, that's how I got myself out of that, that place, which was really not so much saying it well, but having the initiative to say, who can get me out of this purgatory <laughs> that I was in, you know, and, and he did. And the interesting thing is, is that I had to make a decision. I'm going to alienate these two people that were immediately over me. But I made the bet that if I did that, I could get out from under them. And I thought I would never be anything under them. But working for this person, I would be. And it worked. I could have gotten fired, but it worked. And 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 that too was the same lesson that, that Lou told me on the stage at UMass, which was if you had some initiative. And so that's really been the kind of theme of my career is, you know, okay, it's time for some initiative, do something different and, and get off from under this. Um, the communication thing, the interesting thing at WGBH, they did on-air fundraising and it was a television as well as a radio station. And my, you know, 25-year-old brain by that time said, oh, I want to be on television. And so I did everything possible to get onto live television for our fundraisers. And I did. And, and I got to the point just before I left for business school where I hosted the channel two auction on the last night, Saturday night with 300 people in the studio for a big party afterwards. And, and I just had the most fun of my life to that point. And which is how I kind of figured out, you know, I kind of like it when, you know, success is actually gratifying, you know, and that's when I decided I like to be with a smart, interesting people with initiative. I'm curious, did your parents 
like what was the because this notion it's so it's so interesting to me that you weren't like Mr. Initiative just mm. because you seem to be someone who globs on ideas like my experience of you Bruce has been you see an idea and you're just really to jump in and try it you know right. and so was that at home did you just see that that wasn't something you were supposed to do or that you were penalized or just was just something you had no so my, my parents had two two very uh, diametrically opposing forces my parents absolutely raised us. It was just my brother and I, younger brother. And they said to us, you can do anything you set your mind to do. But they didn't do it. Mm. And, and it was only years later that I really, that, that, that tension really came into focus for me that, wow, somehow I believe them, but I also watched them get, stuck. I mean, they both died young. And I'm convinced that a big reason for that was they just felt so stuck. And, um, and they, they couldn't practice. It was like the next generation, you can do anything you want, but we can't do it. And, and that gave me um, so I was torn and well, I mean, you know, think about it. So I'm, I'm doing everything possible to get out of my neighborhood around 10, 11, 12, 14. And they're saying, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't afford it. We can't change. We can't do anything. We're here. We can't. And, but, but you can do anything you want. And so it, it just, it was confusing. And, and um, until, you know, I really got out on my own. I mean, I would say though, that I am absolutely immensely grateful to them because I have learned that if there is one gift you can give children, it's unconditional love. I felt that. And therefore, I have the confidence to try and fail, which a lot of people who have more talent, or certainly equal talent, don't have that same, you know, courage or ability, because they don't feel as secure. And, and I, I just think, if there's anything you do for a child, it's, it's, you know, just, I love you, even when you mess up. That's amazing. Talk a little bit about your relationship with your brother. <laughs> uh, my, my brother is a, a film producer. He lives in Los Angeles. Um, he's two years younger. He, he actually, we both went to Wharton Business. So he got there a year ahead of me, which shows you he's kind of scary smart. But you wouldn't know it because he's, you know, he's a film producer and he's in LA and he, you know, so he, very, very capable, very creative person, um, independent film producer. And, uh, and we've been close pretty much all our lives. Um, he is, uh, has a completely different life than me. He's single and, um, you know, lives in LA and, um, which is a very different way to live. I've raised three kids who are now all adults. Um, and yet I think it gives us both a window into you know, worlds that are different than ours. You know, I, uh, I don't know if I should tell this story. Uh, I probably won't tell that story. Uh, basically, I, it's like, how do you put yourself in someone else's shoes? Through my brother, I've done that my entire life. You know, he's completely different than I, although we have similar values. Um, so it lets me do it. And, and every now and then he'll call me up and say, do you have time? I got to talk to you. I'm out of practice talking to normal people. And, 
and literally just have a conversation, you know? And so um, it, 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 it does. Um, he's done things to me like uh, call me up and said, you know, don't see the movie. I forget it was, it was like the departed or one of these movies that was set in Boston. He's like, you can't watch that movie. You'll have flashbacks yeah, because it's so Boston in 1960s, 70s. And um, it's so accurately done. Um, so we have, you know, it's like anything else. If you're in the battle together, then you're, you're close for life. That's fabulous. Well, the gift of family for sure. Mm. So talk about the, just the career journey and then having these three uh, amazing kids that you have. Um. So I have, well, first of all, uh, as you well know, I was um, married for 30 years. Um, and uh, uh, sadly, on many levels, got, got divorced uh, a few years ago. Um, we were two career couple um, and my wife worked incredibly hard um, in on Wall Street, male-dominated um, industry, worked harder than... 83 men. Um, and so it, it was a very interesting, interesting is really the wrong word, too weak a word. Um, I saw the world through her eyes, although she would probably say I, I didn't fully grasp it, but you know, every day for 30 years, you hear these stories and like, you know, uh, you, you, I don't need to repeat them. It's all the, like, I said this, nobody listened. The guy says it, you know, they do it. Um, and, and, and not all, you know, only because she's immensely successful, still is. Um, but it, it just gave me, I had the unorthodox career and she had the really, really, you know, highly professional um, investment career. Um, so we had a different type of household and, um, we had, you know, three kids and three dogs and a full-time babysitter. And um, it, it, I don't, I'm not sure that's a, at all a typical upbringing. It was the way we did it because we both traveled. Um, I, for, for a number of years, was a speaker and literally ran around, around the world. She commuted into New York all the time. Uh, I would say that if, um, if anything, you want to, really test say it skillfully it would be in a relationship like that by which i mean where there's so much pressure um uh, on each of you but also um where you also have to maintain you know what, what lessons are we giving to the kids and and it matters more what you do than what you tell them to do and um i by no means think we got it all right. I think, man, have I learned a lot since then. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, we, I think in some ways, even when I say, wow, that was really challenging, I think we had it lucky compared to most people. And, um, and it still was challenging. When you think about, you know, back then balancing, just a, con just a major balancing act, right? Like doing mm -hmm. it all. And and as you said, like succeeding at it, right? Optically, like it, it all looks like it's pulling it together. You know, if you look at your that self back then and now, what what has shifted for you in mindset 
or thinking, um, you know, what's kind of evolved or what did you give yourself permission to do that maybe you didn't years back? Well, so I actually think that the flip side of initiative is selfishness. I'm not sure that's, there might be a logical flaw in there, but in, in my life, I think that's true. And because, you know, initiative, basically you want something, you go do it. And, and I, I think that my lesson is I can be selfish because I'm so driven to like, if I want something, like you said, like, you know, if I see an idea, I, I glom onto it. If I see, I see anything that excites me or attracts me, I just go for it. And, and that is not always the best strategy in a relationship. And by that, I mean, not just being married or, you know, significant other, but also in a family. And, um, and that's, that's, if I had to do something different, I would have been more aware of that. Um, although I, to this day, I still don't know how to navigate. So you were asking about my brother. My brother would come to town. There'd be five of us because three kids, the, the you know mom and dad. And he would be sitting and he would always have a, a completely different opinion. Let's go to the, you know, the circus. Let's go to Broadway. Let's, and there, he'd say, you have like seven opinions. You only have five people. You, you, nobody wants to do the same thing. And that was the case. And so I, so I know why a lot of times I push to finally just say, let's just all go skiing. Cause I like skiing and I knew it'd be fun. And, you know, but, but I, part of it was, I was driven to do the things I was excited about. Part of it is like, we're going to sit here for the next year and nobody's going to make a decision unless I do. But I think, you know, I could have like made some decisions that were like, let's do what Alyssa wants to do instead of what, you know, I want to do. And so um, I, I still, um, I still fight that one. Like, I don't think that's, uh, I will ever be that good at just saying like, you know, you have it, you know, you have the last piece of cake. I, I struggle with that one. <laughs> the awareness is great and it is what it is. And as long as you can work with it, Bruce, I think that's, yeah. that's amazing. So uh, enlighten listeners a little bit because you have a very varied uh, career. And I just love if you don't mind taking folks through the different environments you've been in and you have quite an eclectic, um, you know, skill set and experiences. Okay. So really quickly, public television, go to business school, join the Danbury Mint where I started the first precision crafted die cast collectible model car business, which meant I went to Asia 14 times in three years to start two factories that factories, like they're factories, but they basically were to make these precision crafted models and then would come back and did the marketing. And we um, generated $20 million worth of sales in three years. And then I quit. And then I started my own company, which was the Sunday comic store, which was selling, uh, you know, kind of t-shirts and coffee mugs based on 29 comic strips that I licensed. So that was a real entrepreneurial venture. And then I sold that for a tiny amount of money. And I uh, went to Ogilvy Mather, which was where I did the IBM thing. And then uh, really the kind of most interesting thing I did was I joined 
these two people, Don Peppers and Martha Rogers, who'd written a book, The One-to-One Future. That was when the web was starting up. And they just, that book came out at the exact right time. And they had this concept called one-to-one marketing, which was treating different customers differently. And uh, it was the precursor to personalization, which is the strategy that Amazon and everybody else uses now. You remember what customers tell you, so they can make it easier for them to order more. And um, so I went around the world. I built, we, we went from 10 to 150 people in three years. I ran, I started and ran the training and the interactive and the research parts of our business. Um, gave probably 150 speeches in three years. Uh, built training programs. Um, and uh, then, then raise venture capital, start my own version of that. Um, when a couple of years ran out of money, but dot com thing came, and then I had like 10 years of being a consultant, being a speaker, being a trainer until I drifted kicking and screaming into um, being a social media ghostwriter, which really happened because I. <laughs> So this is me having initiative. Um, I think it's 2012, LinkedIn decided we're going to put content on LinkedIn. We're not just going to be a resume site. And they announced that they had made 100 people LinkedIn influencers like Barack Obama and Richard Branson. And only those people could publish on LinkedIn. And for whatever reason, the week I heard that, I was like, I got to be in there, (laughs) which is a completely illogical, irrational thought. But I figured out who the editor, executive editor of LinkedIn was and is, same person. And um, I sent them a note. And I just come out with a book with a partner called Smart Customers, Stupid Companies, about how companies were not adopting these technologies that, that we had been going around the world speaking about. And in the same week, he let me in. And I think there were three people who pitched their way into that program. So I became a LinkedIn influencer. And for years... I was one of about 125 people who could publish on LinkedIn and nobody else could. And um, it changed my life because I, I had really had enough of marketing and um, I got to write about anything I want and people would read it because there were only 125 of us publishing LinkedIn promoted everything that, that we wrote. Um, at one point, actually for over a year, I wrote more content on LinkedIn than any other person in the entire world. I mean, any other person, I just, because everybody else was famous and I was not. So I just had to work like five times as hard to get attention. And I started writing about um, how to do well by doing good. And to this day, that's what I care about and what I try and write about. And I try and write about, you know, bring humanity back into business and, um, and then the last thing I would say is that right now I, I've, I've started using the co-creator description because what I really realized gives me the, well, I do best and it gives me the most pleasure is to magnify the talent of talented people. And, and I mean, you're a great example of you have so much inside of you and you want to do so much for the world and you, you have so many ideas and, and you just need a it's kind of a foil to, to like kick around ideas and say like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And, and I, I find the same thing with myself that sometimes I get stuck and I just need someone's help. You've done that for me. And, and, and I love doing that. I love like, you know, th- this person has the talent, 
to, to do amazing things. They might have a book in them, they have, might have a company in them, they might have a training program in them, might have all three. And I just love like, okay, I'll put my head together with yours and I'll, I'll help you know that come out of you. And so this right now is absolutely like the best job I've ever had out of all those things. Yeah, I know how much, I know how much it is you. And we're going to come back to this. Let me ask as you kind of, you've had this notion of um, seeing opportunity, uh, selling, creating products and all certain different verticals. Just share a little bit with listeners about your aha learnings in marketing and the human psyche, just the world according to Bruce. I just love to hear some of the takeaways you have over the decades of what you've kind of learned about the human psychology. Well, so in order to do that part of marketing and customer experience and personalization, I had to adopt and a definition of what intelligence is. This goes back to the days when I was speaking a lot. And what I came up with was that intelligence is having something of value to say and knowing what is valuable to different people. Meaning, if I go around saying the same thing to every person I encounter, that's not intelligent. If I understand how Molly is different from Marshall, and what I would say different to Molly and to Marshall. And if I can translate that to a business level, meaning that I can have a company that knows how those two people are different or how IBM is different from Johnson Johnson or how the, the medical products division is different from the healthcare pharmaceutical division and what their needs are, that, that is a completely unfair advantage. And it will set me apart from all the others, whether we're talking interpersonally or whether we're talking you know, B2B. And so knowing what to do differently, what to say differently for different people, for different businesses, for different divisions, that's, I, I don't even want to say more than one because that is far and away the biggest lesson I've ever learned. Period. Okay. We're yeah. not going to spoil that. That's genius. I love that. I love that. The um, I, I'm curious about the co-creator and what you think your genius is to helping others. You know, and I say this for listeners because it's important. It's imperative that we all know, like, what is it that's our secret sauce and to be able to mm-hmm. articulate it. So, Bruce, how would you articulate your genius? I would say that my genius is my weakness. And that is that if I don't, so you're starting to think about it. I've been, you know, kind of been in the role of a social media ghostwriter, you know, up until this point. And which means that I need to be able to listen to you well enough to, to enunciate what you want to say, not only as good as you, but a little bit better than you. You know, so I, I, I have to be able to listen. But more than that, I have to be able to, completely understand what you're trying to communicate to me. And, and so if I don't understand, I keep asking questions and I keep pulling the thread. And even if you say, oh, no, that's good, you get it. But if I don't understand it, I keep pulling the thread. And so it can be annoying as hell, but it's my greatest strength because in pulling the thread when I'm working with somebody, which 
again, short-term can be a little bit annoying. Things come out of that person or group that are significantly more valuable than if I didn't do that because I'm helping them to go to what is it you're really trying to do? Why are you trying to do this? What sets you apart? What do you know that other people don't know? Who can benefit? And without asking just all of those, kind of, I don't mean to say stupid marketing questions, but I do mean stupid marketing questions. Like I have fascinating conversations with people. We both love it. And we end up with insights simply because I am trying to fully and completely understand what it is that's going on in your head, your heart, your soul. And um, amazing, I mean, stunningly amazing things come out because we all have that inside of us. That is, we all have this magic inside of us, but usually nobody even notices. And, and I notice just because I'm trying to dig deep with you. What's going on in your head, heart, and soul? And Bruce is helping us unlock this magic within us. I love that. There's some marketing thing there, Bruce. That's mm. really just, I can attest to this for listeners because, you know, there's nothing more awesome when someone kind of parrots back for you. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's better than I said it. You know, <laughs> just, mm. there is nothing better than that. People like it's totally spectacular. So, you know, having created this business and I love the kicking and screaming part. So would you just talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial journey and how you've pivoted in figuring out how to create this really the stream business. Cause I, you know, this thing, you know, I, I love this show highlighting people who have persevered to find their true North to succeed mm -hmm. on their terms. You know, and I just think you're a poster child for it first. Well, uh, thank you for saying that. I, I, I think the tough part is to narrow what you do. And I've noticed that people are terrified of that. You know, it, so for example, I compete theoretically with every writer on the planet. And, and I see people who, some who are way more talented than me and some who, you know, could be if they just did one thing and they, so when I see a writer who says, oh, I do, I do copywriting and I do books and I do social media posts and I do book jacket blurbs and, and I think, wow, you know, you're just like, A, well, on the one hand, you might think I'm incredibly versatile, but you're not specializing. So therefore, you're just, you're, you're kind of okay at all those things. And you're probably making, you know, a tenth of what you could be making and you're not, you know, you're not leveraging your talent. And the reason they do that usually is because they say, well, I don't ever want to turn down work. I need work. I just went out as a freelancer, got fired off my job, you know, and I need work. But in reality, doing one thing. So, for example, um, saying I'm a social media ghostwriter, which is a very specific term, which is like one of the smartest things I ever did. Because, um, first of all, it, it let me have a niche in, in which I could be, you know, I could make the case I'm, I'm one of the best or, or you know, I, this is all I do. Um, it lets you get better and better at it. It lets, one of the biggest advantages to me was I went from, you know, probably 10 years ago 
having so many conversations about every entrepreneurial opportunity and every potential thing that I could do, which wasted a day a week, if not more, maybe two, to I only do one thing. And, and, you know, I would send people an email if they sent me an inquiry to this day, I will do that. And it says, here's what I do. If this sounds great, I'll be happy to get on the phone with you. But this is the only thing I do. You know, it's like Alan Mulally saying, you can, you can do anything you want at work, but here's how we do it here. And, and that's, <laughs> that's it. And, and so that in my little tiny world, that's it. That's the way I do it. If this sounds great to you, wonderful. I'd, I'd love to work with you for the next 10 years, but that's all I do. And it's freeing. It, it feels the opposite, but it's freeing. It lets you um, add a lot more value and uh, it lets you have clarity over um, not only how do I add value, but how do I get better at this one thing I do. So Bruce, was that just intuitively obvious as you, as you were going, or was there a certain moment? Hell like, no. Wait a second. Hell no. No. <laughs> uh, no, I fought kicking and screaming. I mean, the first year I was on LinkedIn and, and when they were starting to open it up to other people and I had ghostwritten one book just on a lark in 2006. It's a long story. It's not worth going into, but um, so I had ghostwriting on my profile and people started asking me, Oh, do you help other people? Will you help us? And, and for a year, I said, no. I'm like, that's not what I do. I thought I was a marketing consultant. And I was speaking and training and all this. And, and only when we started to look at, um, Molly knows for eight years, I owned a house in, in Park City, Utah. I just sold it. And only when I started to realize that we were actually going to buy this house in Park City and I would be you know, two miles from a ski slope. And then it, it dawned on me like, wait a minute. If I was doing social media ghostwriting, I would have maybe an hour or two during the day I could go skiing. And so a really backhand way of backdoor way of, of getting to say, okay, well then I'll consider it. And, and what, what I've seen since I'm working on a project right now that, that uh, actually I wrote this post, was it today? Yeah, today. Um, that basically said, we can't even imagine, can't even imagine the best possible life for ourselves unless we take like 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 iterations of it. You do one, let's sit, do it again, do it again, do it again. And I'm, I'm evidence to that. It took me a year to, to accept this smartest move ever just because I was stubborn and stupid. <laughs> and now you can't even imagine like what it would be like without it. Cause the, Flexibility. Right. It's just but I still can't. I mean, to, in fairness, I still, I mean, I am doing something that a lot of people haven't yet done. I hope I will convince more people to do because that's part of the reason why I'm doing it now. Um, it takes a lot of effort to actually figure out what you should be doing. Most of us, I think, we do a version, you know, a subset of what we should be doing, um, but nowhere close and nowhere close to what we could do. Um, because we spend all our lives being told, oh, you can't do that. No, forget it. No way. No, no, no. Not you. Other people, not you. And we accept it. And, 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 we, and it happens so much that we don't even realize that we are being limited by all the evidence around us that people gave to us that you know, reduces our potential. Thank you for just articulating the Molly phrase, do the work. 
That's mm -hmm. that's it, folks. You got to do the work to figure it out. And most don't. And when right. you take the time and go through the ups and downs and sidewaysness of it, it may be quite uncomfortable and quite unpleasant in the journey. But proof, you're just proof point that it's totally it's totally worth it. Um, I think part of the joy that you exude, Bruce, is you really took initiative in your personal life. And I would just love if you don't mind sharing, because I think a lot of people are looking for love, you know, and I really admired you and how you took it on. And if you don't just mind saying a little bit about that, I think it might hopefully give some folks some ideas about um, how they might, you know, take the initiative as you did. So what Molly's talking about is when I uh, separated and got divorced uh, a few years back, and I spent the first three or four months being like, oh, my God, this is not going to be good. And um, it's like you, you're married for th three decades. You don't think about dating. And, and, um, and I actually, once I got over the I can't do this, this is going to be horrible phase, um, I just jumped into it. And I just I used I went used online mostly. I tried to get people to introduce me, but that didn't really work very well. And um, I used online dating. I would be in five services probably at a time. And um, and I just viewed it as a chance to meet interesting people. And you know, because I was in Utah at the time, I um, it was very easy to like, hey, do you want to go for a hike or do you want to have you know, iced tea? Um, and I met a ton of interesting people. Um, I had different experiences like, you know, you know, going out on a blind date with a woman and her niece and niece-in-law, her, her niece's husband, you know, who was like, we just started a brewery in Park City. So I had all sorts of, you know, just fun experiences. And, um, and I ended up, uh, at the, oh, and then, but then I, that's right. I, I was dating a woman for a while. So I had some success. So I dated a woman for a while. And broke up just as COVID started, uh, or just before, like a, a month and a half before. And then COVID starts, and I think, oh my God, that was really bad timing. <laughs> You're like, I'm alone, <laughs> literally, I'm alone in, in Park City in this big house, and and this COVID, and like, and everybody's locking down. What do we do? And I got incredibly lucky, and um, so I just focused on like rewriting. I actually, I, I wish I remember the name of this woman. There was a TED talk about how this woman completely used data science to figure out dating online. And I took some of her advice, which was, you're not trying to attract everybody, just trying to attract the one person. And I attracted uh, this woman, Joan, who you know, Molly, um, who found me in August of 2020 and who lived in Seattle and she came for the weekend and she has never left. Um, and we've since moved to Vermont. And um, so, but yeah, it was like 50 dates, you know, to uh, actually, isn't that a movie, but except I think it's with one person, but I, uh, yeah, I, I, I just kept at it until I, uh, I kept like rewrite it. <laughs> it's not working. Rewrite your profile. And so I did that. And actually I, my best secret is that I would, absolutely recommend this is is for like an hour set yourself as the opposite you know if you're opposite sex or opposite gender whatever it is that you're doing so that you can see a dating site through the site through the eyes of the other you know whoever you're trying to attract which took me a year to figure that out but 
you realize, oh my God, guys are jerks. <laughs> so I, I don't be a jerk and you'll be fine. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that, Bruce. It was just heartening. I was just wowed by you. And it's so heartening that it, it just all came together. And I just think you're the way you thought about it, embracing the the process, if you will. And you know, what's meant to be is meant to be. So it's just been joyous. I have to say it's been joyous for me to know that you enjoy Jonah having a grand time. Um, the so five second thing I would say is that there were plenty of times in the middle of that that I thought, oh my God, I'm out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. So I think part of a big part of it is to get through those weekends or weeks or months that you think, oh, this is just, you know, what am I going to do? Um, and persevere. Yeah. That's so awesome. Uh, let me just ask about your work motivation as something, um, you know, you figured out you're this ghostwriter, but what truly, Bruce, drives you to to do it the way you do it? So I, I can say the positive or negative. I love going deep. I love understanding why people work the way they do, why some ideas work, why some don't. And I really dislike superficiality. I mean, I can be just friendly and give you a hug, but I really like, I'm happiest when I go deep and really, you know, uh, understand other people. And so I'm just completely, you know, like Pavlov's dog. Like I just love going deep. So anytime I have the opportunity to, if I can go deep with, with smart people, interesting, not just smart, interesting people, dynamic people. Um, I just love it. It's what makes me feel alive. So I just, look for those opportunities. And, and sometimes I think, I hope none of my clients are listening, but you know, I, I, I love it. I mean, I, if I, you know, if I didn't get paid, I'd still love it. I just, um, I learn, you know, and um, I'm not sure I get smarter, but I get more knowledgeable about the way people really work. Yeah, I think you are getting smarter on that. So uh, Bruce, what site can people go to to learn more? It's just my last name, K-A-S-A-N-O-F-F.com. Anything you want to know, it has many of my different uh, links to all my newsletters and the individual issues and all these articles and my books. Yeah, I just, you know, I cannot, I could not any more wholeheartedly endorse folks going in and just taking a read um, the way Bruce simplifies, gives you permission to do what I think you know you need to do, but most people aren't doing. And then for anyone who is in uh, the market for a ghostwriter, like huge endorsement here because you just can't go wrong. And it, um, you know, watching you partner with people and just the mutual win-win, you grow, they grow is great. And, you know, I, I really say this, you know, I think Bruce and I as well, you know, you just to be able to kind of wake up and just like love doing it and you would do it for free is a real gift. Know? And mm. I do want people to realize that that takes some work. It just doesn't kind of magically happen for folks. If you want it, it's there for your taking um, if you do the work. So um, I um, thank you. I've been, yeah, I've been really blessed. And, and I know how much of a difference you make for a lot of folks in amplifying, amplifying their voice. You know, we should segue to the Say Yes Goofy part of the show. So, Bruce, do you have a tough conversation that... Uh, is current or maybe in the past we can unpack yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, what I find to be the toughest conversation is when the person you're talking to is highly sensitive. I'm, that I mean, 
they they don't have confidence they're easily hurt their feelings are hurt they feel threatened and you have to give them feedback and i have tried you know being tactful and being you know understanding and being non-threatening and saying something positive first but i still feel like it is immensely difficult because i feel there's a number of circumstances where all they hear is he doesn't like me he thinks i'm stupid he doesn't think i can do the job and and i've i've kind of never really figured out how to manage that yeah thank you for raising that that's on top of mind like everybody's nodding their head oh yeah i've been there so listen you know the me you we framework right so the me is starting with what's going on for bruce and i understand that you might think they're not confident you know, that they're going to respond in a certain way. And that's totally valid. It's just ask yourself um, what you're feeling. And then, like, how does that cause you to show up for the other person and making sure that inadvertently that's not causing you to come up in a way that that isn't what you're about, which I would offer is you're there because you care and you want to help. And that's just so mm. natural for you. It's so natural for you. So it can be it can be tempting to kind of go to the thing, but if you can just look at someone and acknowledge, hey, I see how hard you're working. Mm. I see sometimes that maybe you don't seem as confident. I just want you to know I'm really confident in you. You know, and I care deeply about you and I want to help. That's the thing you want to lean into, and that's the 80%. Mm. In whatever Bruce would. And I know that you can do that, right? And so then you say, okay, so you get it. I want to make sure, do you realize I'm here for you? And just make sure they come back, you know, and say, well, right. just work it through because that's the most important part. So if you get that and then they realize, so this is the thing. I noticed something and it may not be landing in the way that you think. And I just, I want to bring it up so that it gives you a chance to think about if you might want to do something different. Mm. To see how so they're giving them a lot of control over the situation. 100%. Because you're good. Bruce is good. You're like, I'm good. So, and, and I'm saying this because I want, I want you to be, you know, as impactful as you can be. I think what you're doing is great. I just could imagine that other people aren't receiving it the way you like, which is not on you, right? But it's you have to figure out how do I communicate? How do you communicate to them in a way that lands for them? So I'll just pause there. How's that landing? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that my natural tendency is to be a little bit more, you know, process oriented. Oh, I got to tell him something that he's not going to want to hear. And, and I think to a certain extent, it, it, it freezes me and others, all of us, it, from being as... Um, I'm here for you and you know, you can judge what, how you want to handle this. I think, I think I, when I do this, I, I'm a little bit deer in the headlights and I don't think as clearly um, as I normally do because I'm thinking, Oh, this is going to be bad. And, and I think I, what I hear from you is, you know, stop, stop bringing my own baggage into that. Yeah, I think that that's a great learn. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the point is, like, how does that serve me? Thinking this is going to go bad. Thinking that this person is right. going to hate me. Thinking that, I mean, like, really? 
So you're making it harder and ask you to don't be my worst enemy. How can Bruce be his best friend saying, hey, you're a good guy. You really want to help him. You do your best. You can't control how it lands for them, but you can do your best to set it up in a way whereby you think it will land well. So again, it's that, that, that part you have to realize that you can't control how they respond. That's great. Thank you. Well, thank you for asking. And we could go on and on. I'm just going to close and um, ask you, Bruce, what was it like for you to share your journey with us today? Oh, it's fine. I love talking to you. So I, I talked to you all night. So this is just a real pleasure. Well, I am just smiling big time for you. I just want to thank you, Bruce, for being you, for being genuinely you. And you inspire me and all of us to be real, to focus on serving. His mantra, folks on LinkedIn, serve, don't sell, mm -hmm. and the rest will follow. So I'm just um, grateful for your support, for your encouragement, and most of all, your friendship. You are a big part of the solution in the world. We need more Bruce's in the world, and you know, however, I can be helpful. I'm here for you. So I'm cheering for you, Bruce. You take good care. Well, thank you. And, and keep going. You're doing such a great job with Say It Skillfully. So keep going, going, going. This is great. You are going to change the world. Yeah, we are going to change the world. So I'm grateful for your support. And uh, the best is definitely yet to come. So we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Molly. Uh, okay, folks. Uh, just amazing. So my thought for the week, inspired by Bruce, be yourself, but not obsessed with being yourself. And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Bruce's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 